0: Hello and welcome to the back Page, of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how goes it? How how has January been for you in Bath, Somerset, UK? Uh, yeah, it's okay, it's
1: been long. A long January.
0: Yeah, this feels like we're on the uh, seventh weekend of January as we're recording this. Um so that's good. Um have you been to any nice eateries this is now what the listeners actually want to know about apparently is um <laughs> we get so we get so many tweets about bath tourist stuff now and like I, it's over it's overtaken no one tweeted at me saying um how dare you call the mega drive the most like overrated console in the mailbag oh, episode yeah. you were worried but everyone, if that was going to happen <laughs> yeah and no one cared if just that what just one guy saying oh yeah i agree <laughs> and then no one else uh, really joined in But everyone, when we talk about fucking pasties and sausage rolls and stuff, are just like, yeah, a bath, and like, um, that's kind of confusing. But what have you been up to in uh, in the city uh, over the past month?
1: Not a great deal, actually. We've been, we've been. I don't think we've even been out for a meal, which is terrible. I I need to cram in some visits uh, to the Bengal Brasserie because that's closing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that, for listeners, is my Indian restaurant of choice. Um, I don't have a backup in terms of a sit-in restaurant in Bath, um, yeah. so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of sad about that. It's it's this um, quite sort of it's tiny little restaurant underground. You go down these stairs, and it's sort of under the high street, so there's no sort of windows. It's a little bit airless down there, but I'm quite fond of the food. They I always have a, because I'm not very adventurous i always have a big glass of quite flat coca-cola with my meal <laughs> so i'm gonna miss that because that's actually part of my uh, part of my routine yeah had some had some good good magazine times there we had a end gamer christmas dinner there a few times i remember production editor charlotte having a huge bust up with our editor nick about whether or not the red hot chili peppers were good <laughs> Who who was on each side do you remember I think Nick was pro red hot chili peppers and Charlotte was anti red hot chili peppers. It got quite heated.
0: <laughs> Where do you stand on the subject, Matthew? Notorious music like um,
1: Matthew uh. Castle. You know, do I do I really look and sound like someone who has any opinion on red hot chili peppers?
0: I dunno, I mean I feel like a lot of red hot chili peppers fans look like you or me. Oh really? Just like just dudes in like jeans and t shirts. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like yeah, it's not like I, mean, I am a generic
1: that... dude. Um, well,
0: that's it. Like, are you, the, you You know, we're both, like, defaults in the character creator, aren't we?
1: Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face I it. I don't have to create myself. You know, that that is one of the best things about uh, being a generic person. No real opinion other than that I'm sad that that restaurant's closing.
0: It was a PC gamer, uh, Hotspot too when there for dinner a few times. I think, like, the underground thing means it's maybe not as pandemic-friendly or, you know what I mean? Like, it was always yeah. been tightly packed down there. Like, it's not a place up in... Dying to go back to um, during the pandemic, which is, you know, maybe doesn't help, but uh, compared to some of the area places in Bath. But I'll miss it. Yeah, it was was solid. No love for the mint room, Matthew, very close to Uh, your house and mine.
1: I like the mint room's food, but the mint room isn't like a traditional Indian. It doesn't do all the basics. It's more like a fancy version of Indian with, like, slightly more, I don't want to say experimental, sculpted versions of classic dishes where, you know, I just want. I basically want chicken tikka sagaloo and a pilau rice. Right, and yes. they don't do a few of those things. So basically
0: like not actual food from India. Just like yeah. <laughs> basically the Brit- British Indian kind I of stuff. I think
1: sagaloo, surely sag <laughs> spinach s- and potatoes? I, don't I mean know.
0: that we're going to say it's just like it's not the most adventurous thing in the world is it sagaloo. It is just spinach and potatoes but um it's hey, delicious. You know. Yeah, I mean it is good, yeah, it's a classic for uh, for a reason. But um yeah, R. I. P. the uh, Bengal Brasserie. Um, yeah, we we went to Chez Dominique the other day and um mm. yeah, we had the fancy uh onglet steak that they do. It might be onglet, I don't know but how you pronounce that word. But um yeah, that in <laughs> a kind of mustardy sauce, um, delicious, um sort of like uh slice of uh of meat there and um yeah really really good you went there though and ordered the risotto i remember which really upset me because <laughs> i was like why the fuck would you go to the best like one of the best steak places in bath and not order their signature dishes which i feel like is a a classic matthew castle play um well I'm, I'm just yeah. i'm you know not to be a parody of myself already in this episode there's there's people's update on restaurants i've been to more places but i'll save them for another time i'm waiting for the Thai hut to um reopen in green park it's kind of like a lot of my mental health is caught up in their pad thai and so you know <laughs> until it reopens i'm not going to be all right i would say and they always take january off which is hey you know, good if you can if you can do it but uh yeah kind of miss it matthew i'm um, not sure what i'm going to do after this recording so tough tough out there <laughs> just walk around um, the
1: streets howling <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, my girlfriend is away this weekend so i have to do something but um yes so this episode matthew we have decided to do some uh semi regular what we've been playing episodes because it lightens the load for us a little bit in terms of planning the other episodes that we're doing and whenever we've done episodes like this so we, we did one where we talked where i talked about the last of us 2 and um we did one where uh i did one late last year where we talked about games we played from previous years they're always very popular people just you know like the basic podcast format of two people talking about what they've been playing so in this episode, we're going to alternate um, discussing games that we've been playing. Matthew's mm. playing something really juicy and exciting, which is cool. Don't want to spoil what that is. I'll let Matthew uh, say what it is. But um, yes, it's uh, it's good. And then at the end, we've got a bunch of listener questions as well. So you can expect this to be a kind of recurring format across the year, like maybe like every month or every six weeks, something like that to break up the other episodes. How are you feeling about it, Matthew?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling fine. Like I know that it feels a bit more like the kind of cliched podcast format, but a lot of people do it for a reason and it's sometimes hard to cram our playing habits into themed episodes also if everything is a themed episode it becomes a bit hard just to enjoy games as we normally would because I feel like oh I've got to be playing Kirby games for the Kirby episode or I've <laughs> got to be playing all the Ace Attorney games for the Ace Attorney episode and it's nice to be able to have just a, a regular gaming habit and be able to feed it into the podcast in some form and you know free up mental bandwidth so that when we do the themed episodes they are still special feeling
0: yeah i think so the other thing is that we um because uh, if this podcast was what we've been playing each week it wouldn't really work as a podcast because i just don't quite play enough for that um, volume of content but i will say that like this means that we kind of like you can play something save up your opinion on it and then just it all comes out in one episode basically so i think it makes it um makes it good listening and so you don't mm. hear the same opinions repeated over and over again on one game which is good so yeah i'm a fan of
1: doing this um i mean we've all, it's still you know, got our own unique spin on it in that we're currently talking about whether or not we think it's a good idea which most podcasts wouldn't do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they
0: would just be they'd be talking about games by now but yeah, yeah we have to push we have to push through the existential crisis wall then the fun <laughs> can begin um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun. And the that, questions was,
1: that, <laughs> that, was, that sounds like a good motto for something. Push through its essential crisis so the fun can begin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's my
0: motto for life, really, if I'm being honest. That's, that's kinda... uh, what
1: was your games magazine called again for Big Sammy Holdings? That should be its, so like, tagline. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, what was it? Was it, Hubworld was yours? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, I think, like, oh, New Game Plus, that was mine. New Game Plus, and then underneath it, it says push through the extension crisis so the fun can begin that works quite well for a new
0: game plus mode <laughs> yeah because yeah you're kind of going through it it's the the fun time mode um yeah that's how i felt playing Sekiro again as i like, ah, know where the fucking infected gorilla uh, throwing his poo at me is this time i'm not going to be freaked out when he turns up i know all this shit the fun can begin um so yeah very much the motto works i would say so matthew Let's jump into the games and um, and talk about what we've been playing. So why don't you go first with your big juicy one, because I'm really excited to hear about this.
1: Yeah, so I've been playing uh, Dying Light 2, uh, which I believe is out today when you are listening to this. I've been reviewing it for Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Uh, at the time of recording, I actually haven't written my review yet. So this may be one of those weird things where, you know, my opinions uh, come with a disclaimer that they can still shift between recording this and this episode going live. So if you've read my review and what I say doesn't add up, you're just going to have to forgive me. That's part of the process, Um, he said wankily. Did you play Dying Light 1 at all? Yeah, I played it for about 10
0: to 12 hours. I did his research ahead of that. Gamescom we went to, actually, where we had to do a bunch of Dying Light stuff. And... I think including seeing *Dying Light* 2 for the first time, and um, yeah, I, I I liked it. I didn't love it. I was quite surprised it take it take off the way it did. I found it a bit a bit passive as as an experience, and didn't love the melee combat. But I I, I could see the city was kind of cool. I like the idea of a an open world sort of zombie game with a mm. I, I don't know. It was, it was fine basically. Yeah. What about you?
1: I had a strange relationship with it in that when I first played it for for about I don't know five or so hours, I didn't really click with it, and I thought, oh, this is just like Techland, who made it, had made Dead Island, which I really didn't like. I hated Dead Island. I thought it was a terrible, terrible game. And this, I thought, was a better version of Dead Island. I thought, oh, okay, they've sort of worked out some of the kinks. They've given this a bit more shape. I kind of prefer the the kind of city setting, but I'm still, you know, I, I actually found it, like, a little kind of aimless. But then I kind of came back to it. I, I had to make some videos about it when I was on the Xbox YouTube channel. We featured it in a few things, and playing it then, for some reason, it actually really clicked. It's got a very distinct flavor to it, in that it doesn't have a lot of that kind of clutter. This is Dying Light 1. You know, it's it's actually quite pure and quite organic and sort of free I mean, free roaming in that it's open world, but also just sort of, sort of slightly free form. And I came to kind of appreciate that that it didn't it didn't have things that I was just ticking off. Um, you know, it's been said by other people in in slightly better write-ups and slightly more thought through ideas that one of like the pleasures of Dying Light is that the city doesn't really change it's got these sort of zombies from start to finish they're always there you can never really get on top of the situation you never really clear it out it's this kind of constant threat level and because of that it has you know it feels like a more honest sort of depiction of of what that scenario would be you can never really win it is just sort of about scraping by and once i'd got into that kind of mindset i sort of enjoyed it a bit more i stopped trying to play it like a traditional Kind of objective led video game and just sort of enjoyed the sort of the, the, the kind of constant challenge of it. I really got into the parkour stuff. It's actually got a really nice power curve, the way the character sort of evolves over that game, and when it gives you um, some quite big game changing powers a fair bit into the game. So you kind of master one set of moves and then it becomes a bit more of a power fantasy in the second half. You've got like a grappling hook and it just felt a bit more sort of organic than like a Far Cry game, which leads me to talk about Dying Light 2, where, interestingly, I think it is more traditionally gamey. I think what they've done is probably made it a lot more palatable for a lot more people. It, it has the stuff to tick off. It has more obvious activities in its open world to kind of to to, to go after and to pursue, Um It's got uh, its levelling systems are are a little little faster moving, a little more obviously exciting on a sort of surface level. But I would say that as a result, it has lost some of the slight oddball energy that I came to love in Dying Light Mm 1. I think it's going to be a game that more people are going to enjoy, but weirdly, I think the people who clicked with the first one may be a little disappointed that it is a bit more sort of standard you know it feels a little bit more ubisoft-ified in the original game climbing up tall things was just a pleasure because of the fun parkour skills and navigating that in first person it was a bit like a, a more of a rough and tumble kind of mirror's edge and the pleasure was the climbing where here there is a lot more things to activate and safe houses to activate and radio towers to climb, not because it's a good idea, but because the map's telling you to do it. And that that's a little bit of a shame. But saying that, even though it is a bit more clean cut and well behaved and maybe a little bit more boring in that regard, it's quite polished. It still has that, really compelling parkour system and it has some power-ups that really really change that and change the kind of city that they can do so I am still enjoying it but maybe in a slightly different way to the first game
0: okay sure so the founding feature I remember them talking about when we first saw this was parts of the city decide that whether they go to each faction you make these big choices and stuff like that yeah is that a founding conceit of the game is it as significant as they made out it was back in like 2017 or wherever it was
1: yeah so you know, when they first announced the game and this shows how far back it was that he announced it um they they shouted a lot that chris Avalone of planescape torment fame uh was like on board as a big narrative kind of like supervisor guide sent you know in the years since obviously chris Avalone's had various scandals and is a bit of, sort of persona non grata now and they've distanced themselves from him um but that was definitely like the pitch of the game when they first had it was that it was going to be this very like reactive narrative sandbox, kind of more down the lines of like a CD Projekt Red thing, like what they promised with Cyberpunk, what they were doing in The Witcher, and I would say that actually in in that regard, like where the game, I, I guess the the trade off for losing its slightly more free form kind of organic flow is that it's more hand-holdy because it has, like, more narrative stuff it wants to push you through. And there is, like, quite a big volume of choices. And you do feel like you're in a relatively reactive network of consequences. Um And there's, like, two layers of that. There's the kind of the overarching story level, which is kind of, like, who you decide to ally with, you know, who you trust, the decisions you make in missions, and how that impacts... The kind of the story as it unfolds and then you've got this facility element where each district has like a power station or a water tower which when you take control of it you either give to the survivors who are the kind of everyday folk who are, you know a bit more kind of like peace and love or the peacekeepers who are a kind of like military faction who are kind of promising to bring order to the city um that's more of a mechanical choice um so like if you invest in the survivors that that region becomes theirs and they like deck it out with things that help your parkour so they install like more zip lines and jump pads and things like that where if you go with the peacekeepers they install it with like traps for fighting zombies so you know it has this kind of the duality is like are you going to be more like sort of parkour-y and defensive and like escape the zombies or do you want to kind of go after them more aggressively in which case go with the peacekeepers the thing i'm still trying to kind of unpack is how the stories you make in the how the decisions you make in the story work alongside the decisions you make with those facilities so like in the story you could side with the peacekeepers and like whenever they ask you to do something you go and do it but at the same time you could be giving all the facilities to the survivors and those two things don't quite gel like i haven't really worked out what the what the relationship if any is between those two arcs because Mm. in my head it doesn't really make sense that like all the tangible big things you're doing in the city benefit one but then because of the decisions you've made in the stories when you meet the survivors they're like Fuck you! You worked with the peacekeepers. You really hurt. You know, you killed a lot of us, or you did this thing which really hurt us. But at the same time, you're giving everything to us. That that's where it's a little bit like, eh? What's happening here? Um, and I, I don't know if you get this when when reviewing games which hinge heavily on choices and consequences. It's that it's very hard to tell until you've done like a second playthrough, like how significant they actually are. Um, I find it like a very very hard thing to judge and some games do it better than others some games are like very explicit like when a consequence is happening it wants you to know oh this is because you did x and Mm. that may not feel like very true that may feel like a, a a little kind of um contrived but I sometimes do like to have a little bit of indicator of like of, of what is happening because of this. Like if anything it draws out like how impressive these networks sometimes are. The game doesn't do a lot of that. Like lots of stuff has happened where I've been like okay, I, that that sort of makes sense, but I couldn't really tell you like w- like why it happened or what I did that made it happen. And mm-hmm. I can't the, because I haven't written the review yet, the the thing I haven't really worked out is like where I stand on that. Like, do I actually want the game to be more explicit, even though it it might feel a bit more artificial, or is it better off this way? You like not knowing. Mm. Because, like, my big problem with Cyberpunk was that I went back and Cyberpunk's save system let you save scum and save and go back and then reload and make different decisions to see what, like, immediately changed. This doesn't. This is, like, one save file um, that you kind of commit to. So it's much harder to kind of test around the edges. And often these games fall apart, like, when you put them under the microscope. But this one, it's quite hard to put it under the microscope. um, Short of, like talking to other reviewers who've made other decisions but I don't really like to do that because I don't really want to hear other people's opinions before I've formulated mine um so that's that's tricky I'm I'm, I'm sort of working out where to place it but um yeah you know maybe I'm just overthinking it and uh, you know I became a bit obsessed with Choices and consequences last year uh, uh, in games. I started like reading loads of interviews about it with different developers. Started, you know, I watched loads of um, GDC talks um, from different studios about how they sort of dealt with it. And basically, the art of like what the art of a good choice is. Um, you know, I was more, more out of interest than than any particular reason. Um, I had a lot of time on my hands being freelance. Uh, so that seemed like a valid, valid thing to do, and yeah, there are just so many different philosophies in terms of sort of how explicit you should be. You know, whether the consequence is actually important at all, whether it's the the moment of choice is actually what's interesting. It's that gra- grappling with something for a few seconds you know that's the interesting mental process for you the player you know the consequence is out of your hands that's just you know good good writing or bad writing about whether or not it it feels like it fits so yeah this this is kind of an interesting case study in that it's it's they've really gone you know they've they've really doubled down on it and gone hard and I I did the edge cover feature on Dying Light 2 last year and you know the choices stuff when when the the sort of lead designer I was talking to was talking about the choices then. You know, he was citing, like, The Witcher 2 as, like, this big inspiration where, you know, it was about the kind of... the size of the consequence being so vast. Like, the technical execution was incredibly hard for them, but he thought those big kind of swings were the things that people remember. So, like, in The Witcher 2, very famously, the entire second act of the game... You know, there's two different versions of it based on a decision you make in the first act. So you literally only see half the game's content on any given playthrough. And it's like a huge, huge swing. And I, But it is also the reason I think The Witcher 2 is as good as, if not better, than The Witcher 3. Because it's just so bold. You know, I love that. And when I replayed it, I was like, oh, wow, this is a completely different game. And, you know, the fear is like... You know, is that happening here? I, I, I'm not really getting that sense so far. But short of like having another month to just play dying like two endlessly, it's it's quite hard to gauge um, how how big it is. Um, the other problem I have, and this is this is like with loads of games with choices, is where you spend so little time with a load of characters, and then you start having to make life altering changes about them, and you know, maybe that's the thrill, like, you've only been given limited information, and, you know, often that's the case in real life, you have to make, you know, quick calls based on on limited stuff, Um, but it does seem a little bogus to me, where I'm having to side with people I've spent, like, 10 minutes with the survivors, 10 minutes with the peacekeepers, and already I'm being asked to, to make that kind of loyalty judgment, like, I have no idea, really, um but maybe that is why they then include that mechanical city region system because that is a more that is a purely as far as i can tell you know what is what is the tangible reward for me on a gameplay level you know what what yeah. bit of this game do i connect to and that i quite like because actually the the spicing an area up with parkour stuff is cool because the parkour is great and having like more super powered elements it's got these like jump pads which basically like it's like something like a mario they sort of fling you right up to a rooftop you know they give you like a really high jump off it and you can pull off some really mad stuff um so yeah it's uh yeah as you can probably tell i'm still like very much in the midst of reviewing it <laughs> yeah how many hours have you played of it by now do you know
0: 20 Okay, that's a lot of hours. Is it actually fun to make choices isn't it, Matthew?
1: Yeah, I mean you make a you make a lot of them. So some of them fall yeah, I mean that I, I guess this is what I haven't quite put my finger on yet, you know. Like I don't look at the cho I don't look at a lot of the choices and go, ooh, the op- you know, the potential here. You know, a lot of them do feel quite kind of like, you know, are you gonna help this lot or that lot? And there's a lot of variations of this lot or that lot rather than individual people. Um you know i i wonder if it's cuz i don't have a sort of sense of the entire scale of the game in terms of like the overall length cuz this you know they famously threw around that like 500 hours figure that everyone laughed at and then they were like okay it's 20 hours for the main campaign 80 hours with all the side activities for like one run through um you know i've done 20 hours i feel like i'm well into like act 2 at the moment but even so like i i wonder if you need I just wonder if a game has to have a you know I, I, it's almost streamlined a little bit in terms of like your dealings with the characters you know it's not as wordy as the witcher it's not like you go to someone and you have a huge dialogue tree and you talk to them for like 20 minutes to get a feel for them because that's where a lot of the the witcher's decisions come from I think is that you know, it introduces characters and a lot of its choices are about loyalty to characters you either do or don't like, rather than, like, morality. And this feels the same, but it's also slightly faster moving on its feet, which is why I maybe don't have that read on the characters. And it's asking me to sort of, like, ally up with some of them. And I, uh, you know, those decisions are a little hard to make in the moment. But, I mean, like, maybe I would say, like, compared to the first game, it's definitely, like very different like there's definitely like clearly an awful lot of thought has gone into the story and they've executed it like reasonably well in terms of like you know the writing is quite snappy you know the character animations you know quite sort of beautiful in their own way you know if that's clearly a route they've wanted to go, on that, go down and they've like really kind of committed to it i just don't know if when i played dying light one my my you know my overall read on it wasn't like oh man i wish this had loads of really complex story stuff you know i liked the sort of sandbox of it i liked just my story of gradually becoming more powerful as this slightly generic zombie killing man was perfectly adequate where this is very much like the character you're playing has always complicated backstory and you know he's got connections to the story and you're unpicking the mystery of that and it's it, it I, You know, the trade-off for that is it does feel less your story. It, it feels much more like a character piece. Because it, it, you are going through a much more pre-constructed story, I don't know if you could play that for hundreds and hundreds of hours, other than playing the roots and seeing all the different branches and all that. It, it, it seems like the game in between those moments is maybe a tiny bit compromised. The other really weird thing about it is that they've... Um, they 've tried to like play up the night daytime split a bit more, where in the previous game at night basically we these all these motherfuckers came out at night <laughs> and made it really scary and intense because if they saw you, they'd basically chase you and they were like mega zombies, and because of that, most people slept the night away. they just go to a safe house, go to sleep, and play it in the day. It was much easier to see the city, it was much prettier, you know a few missions forced you to do stuff at night, but actually. The rewards of playing at night were so little, I don't think many people did. Here they've made this big distinction where like, the zombies are in the buildings at, during the day to stay out of the streets. So the streets are actually relatively empty. The threat level is quite low in the day. And then they come out at night and it becomes a lot more intense on the streets. But it means you can go inside the buildings because the zombies aren't sleeping in there anymore or whatever. But because of that, you do spend a lot of the game Either in the streets in the day where there are no zombies, or inside buildings at night when there are no zombies. So it's like weirdly lacking in intensity because you're just, you know, the most rewarding places to be are where there are no zombies. Like it almost needs a third band to it where it forces you into direct conflict one way or another. And it's almost too easy to avoid the zombies totally, which I would say is a mistake.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's kind of kind of an interesting choice Um, yeah
1: so i I don't know like i I don't know if you get this in the past but like doing that cover feature and talking to the guy you know we had quite a long chat about it we talked for well over an hour and you know he was super smart and super switched on and he had really interesting answers about his decisions and stuff and you know maybe in doing that a little part of you sort of does sort of like oh well i hope they you know i hope they land this lands for them you know i hope i hope it's everything they kind of want it to be you know because their version what they're pitching me sounds great and i'm really into it and i like the guy and all that um and you obviously you know, you do step away from all that, and, you know, I I believe I can review in isolation perfectly fine. Um, But it isn't quite, like, nothing's quite 100% there with it. Um, But it is quite polished. I actually think it will probably do much better than the first game, and I think more people will like it, but I think less people will love it. Yeah, okay. The first game
0: was, like, a mega hit. It was, like, one of the only real, sort of, like, double-A... Kind of like blockbuster type games to happen last yeah. generation. Do you know what I mean? And it like really took off. Um, but I
1: think this could be like, I don't know, like the, the way they're treating it and the way they've promoted it. Like they they have. I think they have like cyberpunk level, like aspirations for it. Mm, um yeah. And I don't think it will be as big as that. But like, I think it's the most wish list game on Steam, for example. Oh, okay, I don't know that. Like I'm it's it, like it's com- it's going to come in like big like either like one way or another so yeah uh, yeah and i don't know if it's just because i i eventually did click with the 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 weirdness of the first that this isn't quite working for me you know i wonder actually if this slightly more conservative game will will just click with more people because that's that's why you make those changes you know there is a reason everyone buys far cry you know these games are just a bit more polite and a bit more um, well behaved, I guess, but I almost don't want a zombie game to be well behaved. Like by definition, yeah. it needs to be a bit chaotic. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I hope I haven't rained on the dying light two parade. Uh,
0: oh, no. I mean it does very much sound like you're conflicted because you haven't played as much of it. As you yeah, I to. mean
1: that's yeah. I've I've still got time. I've still got time before writing, and and I'm hoping it'll kind of like come together a bit more in my head. Well, for those
0: who want to know how um, that epic saga ends, you will find out before this episode is even published, probably, (laughs) when the embargo lifts. So uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, uh, look out for Matthew's review. Uh, We
1: veered Um, worryingly close to... um... Do you remember, I can't, I think it was some dude on Polygon years ago did like a live stream of him writing a review. So yeah, I was, yeah, I remember that. It was like, watch my process. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I mean, this
0: podcast, you could argue, is or is that as a podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mate. Mean, we but, did a whole, we had two whole episodes about magazine covers, Matthew. Like, yeah, how is but, that not, this is my process?
1: Slightly, Slightly more condensed and like trust me you would not want to watch a live stream of me writing a review because it's mostly me eating stress eating loads and loads of fucking subways and things like that
0: <laughs> yeah it's like how do you feel about a man his underpants um chain eating baby bells because that's my process um, you know what i mean like that's yeah um yeah and i know i i do that's want to more, play that's
1: more only fans <laughs>
0: I uh, all I can say is I hope it unlocks on the Epic Games press account, Matthew. So I can play it. Um, that thing is like how I set, keep up to date with games in this podcast. So uh, fingers crossed. Um, keep us updated. Who knows? Maybe um, maybe it'll really turn you around in its uh, last seven hundred eighty hours or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, only <laughs> uh, um... seven hundred hours to go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, good stuff. Um, yeah, ex- uh, good, good, uh, exciting to have a new game on here, Matthew. So uh, yeah, what have you um, been playing, Sam? Um, Right, uh completely the same game basically basically identical to that is Wind Jammers 2, which I've been playing. <laughs> um so uh this is a game that wasn't on my radar at all. I know very little about the original Wind Jammers. I understand it's like a mid 90s Data East Neo Geo game or right. something like that, like a cult favorite um it's got like big ashley day energy i would say as like a, a <laughs> game um like i imagine he's the only person i know who has played the original um so yes uh uh it's basically like competitive frisbee game you throw a frisbee to the other side of the um a side of the court kind of like um anime pong <laughs> sort of thing <laughs> um, but like way more complex you do things like you can just throw the frisbee normally and you can like um spin it in the air um to try and like um make it harder to catch, because if they miss the catch, then it, it lands and you score points. You're either trying to hit goals um, behind the other player and score, or you're trying to just make it land without them catching it. So, like, But, you know, kind of like a bit of tennis and football at once, I guess. Right. I, I know nothing about sports. So I'm really out of my depth trying to explain a sport. Um, but, yes, it's really, really fun. And it works because um, it is like it's got quite a lot going on mechanically so there's a lot of like momentum based play so the first few times you tap the a button to like throw the, the frisbee it'll move so slowly and you won't be really in control of it you'll feel incredibly frustrated but then um you start to pick up the muscle memory of timing so when you catch the frisbee you know the exact second to throw it back to get the most speed and then um you, you start incorporating power moves and you start realizing that oh when the frisbee's in the air i can jump up and then like cane the frisbee down um onto the other side and, and potentially score that way and then My. you realize there's this, this enormous skill ceiling and um, I think the the kind of like mastering it is really really fun. Um, it's I've only actually been playing it in single play at the moment because I uh, I can't be bothered to pay for Xbox Live Gold at the moment. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, that, that that may change, I don't know. But I um uh, but that's kind of enough. Like the AI is pretty tricky. I've mastered the easy AI now, and now I'm on to the normal. And they're just so so good at like but like you can dive across like the the court and catch the frisbee. Like there are loads of ways to just sort of like um keep a rally going and to, uh, to to save the to save the frisbee from going in different goals and it just feels really really good to play like um it's become like my exercise bike game matthew i'll just sit on my bike and play this and then burn off 300 calories while oh, um so throwing double, a frisbee d-
1: real exercise and virtual exercise
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um so it's really really fun it's been getting some good notices i think like a few seven out of ten so I, th- I think it's, I- i'd land on like an eight like I don't think it's necessarily got, like, Rocket League levels of sort of, like, competitive legs to it, necessarily. Right. I don't know if it has that much, like, that much of a ceiling in terms of complexity and mastery. Um, but it's certainly, like, uh, it's it's really, really fun. I think I, the IGN boys were, like, talking about it, um, and that's how I ended up picking it up. It's, all, it's just on Game Pass, so you can just play it, and it's... Um, Really, really good, fun tone as well. Like it's uh, this. I think they're a publisher developer collective. mu. They're also making this Metal Slug Tactics game, and the um, uh, they're publishing the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of turtles and time style game from those ex Ubisoft devs who worked oh, on right. Scott Pilgrim. So yeah, yeah. that that should be really good. Um, so they made a lot of these kind of like pretty looking, uh, you know, kind of like throwback games. I guess Streets of Rage Four, I think, was one of theirs as well. Um, really, really good, Matthew. Just really, really fun, yeah. and the yeah.
1: I, I keep seeing like people on Twitter say like this is their favorite game of the year or they're like this is my, this is already my game of the year and I've definitely seen some like gifs of this game or clips of this game that people are uploading. It's um, like very easy to like visually grasp and watch you know mm. it, it feels like it has the makings of a quite a good spectator sport for that reason
0: yeah it's really because it, you really can surprise your opponent with what you do next like you can put spin on the frisbee so you're starting to curve it round all the all the different characters in the game you pick from like a fighting game style selection have a different um main power which does something different with the frisbee when it sends it to the other side so one might spin in a circle really fast one might like teleport like three times so you don't know exactly where the frisbee is going to land behind you in the net and so it's hard to defend it and um and then like the, the the characters also have different um sort of speed and different strength. so and that and that's meaningful too so you can like um some characters are so weedy that they if you get hit by the frisbee on your line the they get, character gets knocked back and then they oh. score even though you're <laughs> still holding the frisbee um so like it's uh, whereas like some of the beefy guys can properly like lob it back and um and call and, you know and do the same thing to the opponent so um, it's a really good counterbalancing of like you know strengths and weaknesses Ooh. and um, yeah just loads more depth to it than you would ever think it could have from just watching like maybe five minutes where you're like well why would I play this for more than like ten minutes but
1: yeah 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 I will say the first time I saw because I saw a lot of people talking about this 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 thing as this sort of like you know all singing all dancing kind of wonder hit and then the very first clip of it I saw I was like oh it looks like air hockey. It's like an air hockey game, right? It's just like pong. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. But you know, then I started seeing other clips where I don't know what it is that they do, but like the frisbee sort of comes towards the camera and sort of spins in the air.
0: Yeah, it that's just looks right, yeah.
1: really cool. It looks like a like it looks like a really cool kind of coin toss shot in a f- coin flip shot in a film or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, so when when um, a one player does that, that's where you can like I think it's tap Y. To like jump in the air, grab it, and that's where you can do like a proper kind of power shot from oh, the air oh. and um so you're kind of playing in three dimensions a little bit um it just doesn't look that way from from it at first glance, and uh yeah, I think like um it is like a sort of advanced air hockey like the you know the sort of like uh, uh, yeah, just kind of arcadey spin on on that sort of thing hmm. and um yeah, I'm not sure I don't know much about the original, but I see this is very much a similar deal um
1: what character uh, do players have they got cool names? I can't remember any of their names, honestly.
0: But I, I will tell you how one of the stories ends, right? Which is, I played as this really beefy guy. He was the one I first finished the game with. Um, and the last cut scene is: I think he's walking with his girlfriend down a street, and there's like a cat falling off like a skyscraper, and like he grabs the he gr- grabs the cat as it drops, and it seems like a really friendly moment, and <laughs> and then he just like canes the cat back into the sky, like he just <laughs> he just throws the cat and it just disappears into the distance, and it's like, oh yeah, you fell out of the sky. I guess you belong there, so he just <laughs> kind of throws the cat, and like that's it's that kind of like. Um, Capcom fighting game style end to a story where it's like you know just like a basically a, a little brief a br- yeah. brief bit of narrative just kind of something fun and silly um and that, that adds a little bit of tonal flavor too really nice music as you might expect and yeah I, I think it looks beautiful actually just a gorgeous looking game mm. um like I say easy to read yeah I really really like it so yeah it would probably it's probably the best game I've played this year so far in terms of new releases mm. um that I mean we're only in January but yeah, yeah. it's um It's real good, Matthew. Um, So yeah, Windjammers 2. I'm tempted to get it on Switch and play it on uh, the Matthew Castle family account for the Switch Online um, membership. So uh, yeah. Go right ahead. That's what it's there for. Indeed. That is why I'm a member of your family. Um, Yes. Um, So uh, why don't you hit me with your second game, Matthew?
1: Uh, So I've been playing a bit more of The World Ends With You, um, which I talked about a tiny bit. I just started playing it last year when it came out and then i stalled on it um i don't know why i stalled on it i think it was just review period or something i was busy couldn't keep playing um so i've been playing a bit more of the, this is the sequel the switch one the is it Neo? i think world ends with you neo yeah i think it's neo the, end, end with oh, you, neo, right? the world ends with yeah. you yeah which i played I, I played a lot of at the start of the year like over the kind of christmas holidays and, and into january and so i've kind of seen a bit more of the game and seen a bit more how it opens up, it's definitely not quite up there with the first for me, I will say. Like, it seems more obviously repetitive, even though what I'm doing, I think, well, this isn't actually too different to how the first game worked. Like, you know, it's a relatively limited map that you're exploring. You're going around fighting the same monsters over and over again. You know, it, 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 on paper, it doesn't really change that much, but there's something... it. it it seems to have like sort of fewer, even fewer kind of constituent parts in this one, and it, and because of that, it, it it I can't play it for long. I can only really play it in like hour long bursts, and then I've kind of had my fill. But that sort of works because the the whole thing that you are pulled into this sort of Reapers, the Reaper game or the Reapers game, and which is based on like every day these kind of kids are set like a task um, around Shibuya, and they have to you know go and fight you know a few people in a certain region then fight a boss and maybe that's it and you, then you get another snippet of story so you know in that sense it's actually it's it's actually quite well suited to to a little short bursts of play i guess probably harking back to its portable roots um what i've really got into is the combat system which at first i thought was quite downgraded from the ds original which of course is like the most hectic combat system of all time because you're basically playing two fighting games at once on the top screen and bottom screen with different control inputs and it's a bit of a nightmare and i don't know if i ever truly grasped it even though it it just sort of overwhelms you so much that you come away impressed in this one it's like a uh you know a squad of four characters are fighting together but they've each got, like, one move they can do, which is, like, the one pin badge they have uh, assigned. This is at least in the the early parts of the game. They have, like, one pin badge assigned to them. And, uh, like, basically each character corresponds to one face button. And so you're sort of controlling the party, but as this sort of single, like, real-time entity. Like, when you start using a character's move, that becomes the character that you can, like, use evasive dodges with. So... You only really have to worry about like one character at any given time, um, which is the character you're attacking with. But the whole system is built around like juggling their four moves together and trying to chain them together to sort of attack people in succession with different moves. Because when you hit a monster, if you pummel it enough with one move, it kind of like sort of stuns it. And if you hit it when it's stunned with a different move, it adds to like your special meter, which is building up. So right. then it all becomes about not just juggling moves but trying to select moves based on like time and damage so that you know you know is the move fast enough to like activate and hurt them in that stunned period if does that make sense
0: <laughs> yeah I, I, it makes me think a bit of Final fantasy 15 for the way you describe it but maybe a bit more in depth than that I don't know
1: yeah a, a bit more like it's it's a bit more I wouldn't say like easier to control, but it it, it, it kind of acts as you think it should, it, you know, it, it once you get in, once you get your head around the timings of different moves, actually working out like, well, I'll start with the slow move because I don't want to have a slow move in the middle of the combo because that could fuck it so you start with your slowest moves and then you get to your faster moves but at the same time you're like well this moves attacks loads of people but it doesn't attack them very hard so it may not be enough to kind of bring up the stun meter itself and keep that chain going so you're trying to make all these decisions but i kind of like the idea of like assigning the pin badges as a as sort of almost like choices in a in a kind of sequence of attacks i think Mm. that's that's quite fun and it and it makes you think about you know there are hundreds of badges with different moves and it kind of keeps them all in play because you're like well if i go with this then this is going to work better with this this and that because you know on, pa- on, on paper certain moves are just obviously stronger than others but it's not just about straight strength it's about how they you know how they behave in very individual ways and that you know they're they're all um you know it starts off with quite boring sort of fireballs and stuff but then you've got like telekinetic moves where you're like chucking cars around at people and stuff so it's quite spectacular you know the fights are uh, very fast moving and and sort of dizzying and that they're, they're almost sort of exciting enough that like when, when it really pops you just chew through the enemies in like 20 seconds and that that feels quite thrilling to me and it also helps like the grind because the game's moving quite fast so while I do find the overarching structure of it a little more, like, a little tedious, I must admit, in places, because it's kind of, let's go to this region again, and you've already been there, like, a hundred times in the campaign already. You're like, yeah, all right. Um, You know, it is counterbalanced by the fact that I think the combat is sort of constantly sort of evolving with each new pin you get. You know, just the pin designs are really cool. Like, you want to collect them all. Like, it's a very uh, sort of compelling collect in that regard um and it also just looks great on the switch oled particularly the um anime art it's all presented all the cutscenes are like comic book style still but there's the, it just looks really sharp and the color palette they've used really pops on that screen yeah very namura ish you know you have to be into that that kind of aesthetic but <laughs> if you can put up with that it's it's pretty stunning
0: you know what you're getting into with Nomura like uh you know every adult knows by now if a Nomura artist for them or not like uh you make that decision much earlier in your life I would say yeah um, <laughs> yeah I, I kind of like this seemed very underplayed to me Matthew like it was just kind of ignored like I, it felt like The World Ends With You was like a cult favorite but maybe maybe just not on the scale that I don't know that people were like massively into a follow-up maybe like the success of Nier Automata encouraged them with this sort of thing to think, um, yeah. think bigger with some older series. But uh, yeah, seemed a bit underplayed. Did you
1: still get that perception too? Yeah, it's it's one of those games that's like loved by the hardcore and probably journalists who like exaggerate its popularity. You know, right. it's a bit like how you think well everyone must love a Kami, and then you you know you look at like how it actually sells, and you're like oh maybe not. Um, you know, it's mm. it's it's just a sort of yeah, sort of beloved and and probably yeah, seems like it's got more reach. Um, I, I know they're both they're both really great. They're really interesting games, and you know, I would say that you know, I would celebrate the soundtracks. I mean, they're a bit like it, it isn't what I would naturally listen to. <laughs> um, it is one of those games where I think if I was in this world, like i would be a bad guy you know i felt the same way about persona you know like these are these kids are not kids who would think who would get on with me they would find me like way too square and i feel the same way like if anything they're they're you know these kids are much cooler than the persona kids even you know they're very sort of um you know they're just sort of delinquents kind of just sort of mooching around the shopping center um I'm much, uh, it's funny because obviously I I played it uh, a lot at the same time that I was playing um, 428 Shibuya Scramble, which is obviously set in like, this is the visual novel set in the same location, and that's about a lot of like slightly tired middle-aged men, like having a really hard day, and that is like totally my speed, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I could be in that game. 100% one hundred percent and you wouldn't bat an eyelid but if I turned up in World Ends with you you'd be like, wait a second, this is this is wrong. This you know. Yeah. At best I'm an N P C in the background who you can use like your mind reading on and I'm just like, you know, oh God, I'm never gonna make this deadline or whatever. Like that would be my line of dialogue. <laughs>
0: yeah you either a dire world ends with you protagonist or live long enough to see yourself become a four to eight should be a scramble protagonist yeah. um, that's kind of that kind of uh life philosophy very good yeah i could just imagine sort of um you know like a japanese version of you in the background with like a broom saying get out of here you kids kind of thing yeah um, you know yeah um but uh, hey you know that's that's not to say that you can't um Study this world, like uh you know, <laughs> like a, from an outsider's perspective. That's, that's very <laughs> valuable too. um Yeah, I don't, the pin badge thing sounds kind of interesting. I, you know, I always liked the combat system in um, "The World Ends with You," but never felt like I could get my head around it completely. Like, um yeah. I always felt a bit like I was trying to catch up with it, um and not that I was like I had ever mastered it. But um I don't know. It sounds like an interesting adaptation of it. Yeah, um, I'll play it at some point for sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely much simpler and stripped back, but it makes sense. It also like the 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 game's a little choppy in places, but it really like flies in the combats. They're sort of self-contained arenas, um, so it's actually quite flashy and good-looking when it when it wants to be. Oh, okay, good stuff. Well, my
0: next game, Matthew, is a game called Aquamarine. Have you heard of this game? Fuck no. It is a uh, quiet survival adventure on PC that came out last week, I think, at the time we're recording this. So it's
1: um. It's Are like you describing it as quiet, or did it call itself a quiet survival adventure? Yeah,
0: I'm literally reading that off the Steam page okay, that right, Quiet yeah. Survival sort of Adventure. <laughs>
1: but I mean that's it's an accurate description, it is quite quiet. Um
0: it's best described as like what if Subnautica was like a turn based, kind of 2D art uh survival game where the art was inspired by Mobius, the French artist, oh, um, a yeah. deceased French artist. Yeah, the art's like absolutely beautiful, what's the best thing about it? Um, Just these gorgeous kind of like colourful sort of like um, designs and weird ocean monsters, strange plants, that sort of thing. Um, Very much, uh, yeah, very much Mobius inspired. The studio is even called Mobile, which I assume is a reference to the artist. Um, But um, yeah, you kind of like uh, land on this alien planet in your little pod, your ship has crashed. and You basically just have to sort of survive there, like grow plants, um, get in your little like pod, go underwater, go find like um, food to eat and resources to keep the um, pod moving, that sort of thing. Um, looks gorgeous. That's by far the best thing about it. A bit too arduous as a, a survival game, I think. Like, it's a bit too much repetition, um, starting again from the beach kind of like going out again through the same places again um and like just a a bit too a bit too rinse and repeat when i kind of just i think what i wanted was like a narrative version of this game right Uh, it does it does have these kind of narrative events where you're on the beach and something will wash up and then you're asked to like we do you go look at it or do you leave it alone and there's like a risk reward element to that where you might get stung um or you know uh, something else might happen like you know like basically like an ftl style choice essentially where it's like, you know, you pick one of two options and then it feels like there's a dice roll in the background and then something good right. or bad happens. Um, but um, I think, like, there's, there's some really cool stuff to it because the um, when you're on the shore next to your pod just kind of growing your plants... There are these like tiny little narrative events that play out, and this uh, the the kind of like um, gorgeous comic book art becomes kind of like motion art, and it's a little bit trippy at times. Like there's this like consumable seaweed plant where it, you you kind of get high if you eat it. You Ooh. kind of obviously you need to eat anything you find to survive, and you eat it, and then the screen starts kind of like getting a bit kind of woozy and blurry and stuff, and um, that's quite just cool. like real drugs. <laughs> And so, yeah. I uh, uh, truthfully though, I just I found that there's a, it's a bit too much fiddly management of the little pod thing you go around in. I was constantly running out of fuel and starting again, and like felt felt like the the world didn't replenish with resources enough, and it was you're waiting a bit too long for your plants to grow, and it just I feel like it was getting in its own way a bit too much. Um, I've had my eye on this for a while just because I, I I kept seeing like um, little kind of screenshots doing the rounds, and it really is beautiful. In fact, like. Um, another kind of mobius inspired game is sable that came out last year so um that kind of gives you an idea it's like that but um kind of an isometric view it does yeah it does have some cool looking monsters and it is uh, it's like a nice world to explore you can change your difficulties to make it a bit a bit easier on yourself but i almost think a survival type of game isn't necessarily what i don't know it isn't necessarily the best fit for the type of world that they've built which i kind of just want to see at my own pace and explore and stuff like that mm. but then i felt a little bit like that with some subnautica as well i'm not much of a survival game guy honestly yeah. i find like the whole resource management thing it's exactly why i stopped playing no man's sky as soon as i realized it was just about mining shit and instead of just flying between alien worlds all the time and seeing cool stuff i just wasn't really interested so mm. yeah like um that's 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 my one problem with it but yeah beautiful looking game um like, I think the developer is patching it. I'm, I'll give it another go at some point, but a bit too uh, repetitive, a bit too limited, and, uh, yeah, survival games, just not entirely my kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it is worth at least, like, looking it up on Steam, just seeing that what the screenshots look like. It's <gasps> so beautiful. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's a, a sort of slightly weirdo thing I played this week, Matthew. But, um yes that's uh that is aquamarine so next up matthew what's your next game
1: uh i played i played a bit of demon souls ah
0: okay yeah i think you mentioned this to me off air a few weeks ago and i was like interesting choice by matthew castle clearly wants something to play on his ps5
1: yeah I, i got it in a some kind of ps5 sale type thing um it was it was a bit cheaper so i decided to go for it um yeah I thought I and this is partly sort of inspired by the podcast because I thought oh well, at some point we you know we we're, we're going to cover Elden Ring and have some opinions on it but I, I am really very bad on on um from software stuff like I I haven't played much of any of the Dark Souls games like I had to you know I've I've played them all I've just not got anywhere in any of them um like we're talking like single hours in most of them Sekiro is the one i got through the most and then i got stuck and so that's fine yeah so i thought i'd give this a go as well and also because yeah i wanted to have something on my ps5 and see what see what first party you're up to um i must admit i've been kind of cheesing it by playing <laughs> as what i believe is like a bit of a cheese class which is i think it's called the royal um mm-hmm. And its whole deal is it it has he has this like a spell off the bat he's like a lightning bolt and an item that replenishes his MP relatively quickly so you can basically just sort of projectile your way through it and it actually um, it does make it like I'd say more than doable like it 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 becomes quite a standard action game when you play like that because as long as you, you know as long as you keep your distance from everything and you just keep an eye out for. Nasty boys hiding around corners, <laughs> of which there are a lot. Um, yeah, you can just spam everyone with this this lightning bolt, and like, I'm in two minds about it because on one hand, I'm making faster progress than I've ever made in a Dark Souls game, you know, but on the right. other hand, it's also quite boring. It's quite a boring way to play. Like, it it feels wrong. Like, it right. feels like, oh, this isn't really what this game is about. It's about that up close intensity and that's something I can't really handle. So I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, I asked. I asked. I sent a text to Rich Stanton asking him if, like, is it is it deemed acceptable to play this way? And he was like, "Yeah, it's perfectly, you know, sensible. Like lots of people play that way as like a beginners class." And you know, I guess as a ticket to actually see what lies in the game beyond the first stretch of castle. Which is you've got to, if you've played Demon Souls, but you have to you have to complete a chunk of like one of the levels before like the whole game basically opens up and you can do all the the leveling up with the souls. You have to you have to do X amount of it, and um, that little bit you had to do is actually like a complete pushover with the with this spell. I imagine all the hardcore players are like, well, it's a complete pushover regardless because it's the the easiest level in the game. But um, you know i did it, I did it without dying with this magic spell when I was like oh, okay this this definitely this from a progress point of view, this definitely feels different to how I normally play these games
0: <laughs> yeah i I was when you told me about this, I was kind of tempted to do the same thing because right. I thought, <laughs> well, I thought it'd be funny if we both just play play through demon souls saw all of it, completed it um just from by standing at a distance and like throwing <laughs> lightning bolts at um enemies like that would be quite funny um but yeah, I, I, and I may still do that just because, like you, I kind of know that if I play as like a melee class, I'll play two to five hours of it, feel a bit despondent, and then probably uninstall it and play something else. <laughs> right. um, and like that cycle has been going on with From Games Forever for me, apart from Sekiro, <laughs> of course, which I got really good at. Um because I think it's got a better combat system than all the dark souls games uh, by miles but um yes uh, that's just me uh so yeah I I'm, I'm intrigued to hear it, um uh, hear about it like are you in, are you enjoying like the kind of spectacle side of yeah, it? it looks I mean, very that, nice
1: the screenshots and stuff yeah like visually it's amazing and you know a it's it's just like big fun video gamey fantasy tropes you know giant mm. castles and like big clanking mines and catacombs and things you know it's it's very um it's very sort of satisfying also the st- structurally the fact that you can after this initial bit you can basically go into different locations you have more choice over which direction you go in so like if you're not getting if you're not making headway somewhere or you're not particularly digging a particular path you can go out and it's almost like a hub world you can just go into another world and explore it so it it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it has that big interlinking kind of metroid energy that people celebrate in dark souls like it it mm. feels more like a wheel with sort of five spokes coming off it um but you know it means you can see a lot of what's impressive about that game quite fast um yeah, it is yeah it is is very handsome and the you know while it is cheesy the the, the magic effects you know the particle effects and it like burns with dazzling like HDR lighting and it, it kind of fizzes a bit on the Dual Sense when you fling it and all that kind of stuff so you know it's definitely a a, a cool technical showpiece. I just I just do feel a bit dirty doing it this way <laughs> you know after a while you're like ah, uh, this surely he didn't intend it to be this way um
0: but but I think there's a class like this in every one of these games right like um I'm pretty sure that when I was playing Dark Souls with Wes he would just do this like he had like a fire spell and he would just stand at a distance and it would go ding and throw a fire spell uh, like every 5 seconds or whatever and i would just go around like um twatting a big monster in the ass to distract it while he just hit it with more fireballs and i was <laughs> like well this again doesn't seem like the way you're supposed to play it but like um yeah i don't know if it's in there it's a valid approach yeah, so. I guess. And there's a reason yeah. it was put in there you know it's um,
1: it's also funny how like you know because i can Because I'm worrying less about dying, you know, I'm I'm kind of, it frees up a bit of your brain to just actually like drink the game in and and have thoughts about it. And it is quite funny how there's just all these enemies like hiding, like they're, they're all just like waiting for you. It doesn't feel like a level with like monsters living there. It feels like a level with loads of monsters specifically waiting for you to come round that corner or to go up the stairs. Like, they're all placed in real asshole positions. And I know this is probably true of all games and there's bits of this in Sekiro, but I don't know, when you sort of... When you can just sort of, like, look at it, like, really just look at it and, and see, you know... You know, look around and see what's waiting for you. It just becomes quite funny, the idea that there's all these zombies kind of you know hiding around the corner like a kid waiting to jump out on its parent like it's really not very subtle at all like how it's designed (laughs) that way but i find that quite endearing you know it just it it feels very old school like it reminds me of um when i was a kid i used to occasionally buy um video game like tips magazines for like mega drive because they basically print out like the game like a side scrolling game they just print out like what it looked like as the whole level that that was its walkthrough for like whatever sonic the hedgehog 2 here's here's just the level printed on a page and you know it it just sort of reveals how like artificial a space it is and this there's an element of that albeit much more sophisticated in like demon souls for sure of like oh right that's that's that fucking you put there because you think i'm going to be distracted by this thing and then he'll come and shank me in the back and um it's I don't know, this is quite cute
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny because obviously like the, a big deal is made about like the the world building of these games and like the the sense of history and stuff like that and then sometimes like um a boulder will chase you down some stairs like you're in a game show and you're right. like well what <laughs> <laughs> what world
1: would function with any of this in it right um yeah. I, I I you know, I, I totally buy that there is a lot of sophisticated stuff in it, but you know, I think people also have to put their hand up and say there is a huge amount of like dumb as shit stuff in that game and like <laughs> really video gamey dumb as shit stuff and that's fun, like that's perfectly fine. <laughs>
0: well i'm happy to also choose this game if if it like upsets one D- demon souls fan out there like i think it's worth it frankly so um <laughs> if we can just upset one person by by playing it the wrong way then uh, i will join you and we can we can both finish it and have thoughts on um playing this game as a walking simulator and see <laughs> see how that goes for us um okay good stuff matthew um so My next game is Unpacking, which I've been playing on Xbox One. Now, I understand you've been playing this too, right? Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, I've played a little bit of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, I haven't finished this yet. I'm on 2015. I assume I'm near the end because, you know, we live in 2022, and um, the game takes place across different years. I think it starts in the 90s, works its way up. Basically, like, a whole life of... um, one person uh, un- unpacking into a new home. I'm sure people are familiar with this game. It's very high on Game of the Year lists. I think it was Eurogamer's Game of the Year as well. So uh, very acclaimed. Um, extremely kind of nice conceit and uh, embed storytelling in like the different objects that you um, take out into these new homes over and over again, telling a story of someone's life. And, um, I really like it on that level it's really really good um I must admit where i'm at now i'm i'm i kind of feel like I'm done with it a little bit um just because it 's starting to remind me of actually moving house um because like I'm like, how many fucking times have I taken these knickers out of a box now, and it's like that is yes, that is what moving house is like but but also I think um just I think maybe like the first three or four times it really lands, and then like the last few times I'm maybe like. Yeah, I just I'll spin this fucking teddy bear around so it's like uh, you know adjacent with all the other teddy bears and this sort of thing. Um, and so that's just my my cold black heart at work there. I would say. Um, but what do you make of it, Matthew?
1: Yeah, similar similar sort of energy. You you almost want there to be a Marie Kondo expansion where you just bin all the shit. You know? um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, like. you know the, the the things that it's celebrated for the kind of subtle storytelling and the 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 sense of the life that you get from the objects that they have is like really well done and the objects they bring with them you know it's quite kind of poignant um yeah and it's you know this has been said by loads of people but like just how how it's just really subtle smart like wordless kind of narrative design and it's definitely sort of very admirable on on that level. I'm not sure it's something I don't, I, you know, I haven't finished it either, but I'm, I know it's not something I would probably play again. I, you know, I'm kind of Mm. happy tootling through it, you know, unpacking a little room, making it all, all neat. I do wonder if pursuit of just neatness and like sense sometimes gets in the way of like appreciating that level of storytelling, you know, like I, you know i'm not getting each object out and really pondering it with any deep thought i'm just trying to think i really efficiently need to get this in a kitchen and work out where everything goes and i'm thinking so logistically that there's almost no like magic to it but that that might just be my brain um i I, I think that like the storytelling works the best in
0: the section where you're clearly moving into someone else's home and there's not room for you um and like it's a real challenge to like make your stuff fit and that's where i think like that you you can fill in the gaps of the story so well from that that environment um of who the who the person is who already lives here and then what happens next is you know tells its own story too i would say that's the most like poignant crux of the game matthew i don't know if you agree with that yeah but...
1: definitely big big um nostalgic or just memory throwbacks to you know Kath- Catherine eventually moving in with me and arriving with, like, crates of Nickelback CDs. <laughs> and
0: I assume you made her get rid of those immediately.
1: Um. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, we, uh, I feel like our our kind of stuff situation has just been a kind of endless cold war in that neither of us will back down and throw away any of our stuff. So our house <laughs> is reasonably... Club- like, there are certain rooms in our house. Like, you- when you come round to visit us, you come into our living room, which is like you know a relatively neat and tidy room but we've got other rooms where there's just heaps of stuff that neither of us will throw away and lots of disagreements about books because we buy so many books and we're trying to constantly get them away i'd almost like to see a co-op version of unpacking where you're both trying to keep as much of your shit in the house as possible but there's limited (laughs) space and it's more about the kind of uh who gives in and what, what you give up and what you decide between you isn't important. I think that would almost uh, yeah. be a, that would be an interesting sequel to this. <laughs> an unpacking civil war kind of thing.
0: Um Yeah. That's that's it's like nice do we idea.
1: really need all your manga from when you were thirteen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will say that that room as well, and it is tidy in terms of like the stacking of stuff, but there's a lot of stuff even in that room. I've said oh, yeah. this before. But like if you want a DVD Uh, TV DVD from the years like 2001 to like 2009 like that room, it's in that room somewhere Yeah but you you
1: also have to move some very delicate Gundam out the way to get to it (laughs)
0: yeah exactly if you want like a the the switch game collection that Catherine has got is unbelievable as well just like so comprehensive it's pretty cool though like it's cool all your little nintendo games stacked up there but uh yes yeah, so if you want to watch um season two of alias go to matthew castle's house it's in there um you can't be bothered <laughs> to watch it yeah caverns. exactly <laughs> and uh, um, season three of nip tuck oh yeah <laughs> yeah you can find out who the the killer is what's his name I can't remember, oh the, uh, god so, I, yeah, yeah yeah it's like real real deep cut there um yeah good so I, I do like this game and um, a wider point Matthew do you feel like Game Pass is starting to shape the types of games we talk about on all levels because I keep thinking of this with like how 12 minutes is on Game Pass how this is on Game Pass and Windjammers Jammers 2 is on Game Pass and like Sable was as well and I, I feel like the games that become the centre of the conversation are driven a bit by the easy access, the lack of a barrier of like spending 15 quid or 20 quid or whatever. Do you think that's 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 yeah, true? I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess there is there is correlation there. I, I, I often feel, though, that the conversation is like, da-da-da-da-da, here's this game, I'm talking about Sable, I've been looking forward to Sable for a long time, and, oh, and as an added bonus, it's on Game Pass. You know, definitely in how this stuff's covered online, it feels like the Game Pass is still an afterthought. Now, whether that's just people don't want to kind of admit that Game Pass is shaping their tastes and their habits, I don't know. Um, it's sort of funny that this stuff is doing well on Game Pass, particularly like this. This, to me, feels a bit like an anti-Game Pass game in that, like, you know, it's quite short and it's a one-and-done, which you'd think would be not the kind of thing they'd be courting, you know? I th- I think that's very deliberate. Do you think, I think they like,
0: Yeah, I think they know that people, with a service like this, where you've got so much choice, it can be overwhelming. You want something you can play in
1: three hours. I, I think that's definitely something uh, they've been trying yeah, to do. Yeah, I guess so. but like, I've, you know, I've definitely heard other developers say, like, you know, it's so well suited to, you know, from Microsoft's perspective, like games as a service, things which have a long tail on them because they keep you playing, they keep you coming back, they keep you loyal. Games which are sort of sandboxy or kind of endless in some capacity because you know you know from some indie publishers you know we've heard that the benefit of putting your game on game pass is that more people are playing it maybe they're streaming it they're talking about it and then more people buy it um but that only really works with games which you know can be talked about and streamed and shown and still have potential like beyond that where like if you watch a stream of unpacking you've arguably sort of had the unpacking experience so I don't know if they would benefit massively. The the proofs in the pudding I guess in that there are a lot of these games on Game Pass and people wouldn't be putting on them if it was a bust. So
0: (laughs) yeah it does create these moments where like a lot of people have seen the same thing just like how um, placement is key to how uh, like I heard someone talk about how squid game was a phenomenon versus how like yellow jackets is a phenomenon and how like one is just so easily accessible and one it's almost more of a kind of achievement to get that level of success when you're on something like showtime that not everyone has or like sky or whatever but like netflix is on everyone's door so it makes sense to like um that, that a show could go on there and be like enormous in the way that that show was admittedly that was still an unusual show to be a massive success on netflix for sure mm. but you know it but like um access is everything and access kind of drives conversation i think yeah like, no, that's um, that's yeah. that's
1: definitely true and the fact that we're talking about this now is because i've played it on game pass so
0: yeah same so yeah um but no a, a cool game and i i for one actually really appreciate having games like this on game pass because i this is this is what i want to do i do want to tick off games on game pass sometimes just want to play something for three or four hours and um that's absolutely fine because like you say i wouldn't replay it so a one and done is perfectly good um this so, and yeah.
1: carrion two very similar games <laughs>
0: but um yes um interesting going through this and thinking about how uh what a game would be like of this if it was me um unpacking ps3 games and giant underpants like that's something for me to think (laughs) about um but uh yes i had a Um, can
1: i tell you my worst ever moving story please do where when i moved to london i basically you know i moved there to from bath and i wanted to live in a place that was as much like bath as possible which obviously in london means you have to be mega rich, and I wasn't because I was a magazine editor. I basically spent most of my salary, like a dangerous amount of my salary, on renting a a room in sort of West Hampstead in this really nice house. Everyone else there, they had like serious grown up jobs. You know, one was like secretary to the the head of the Bank of England. You know, there were lawyers. There was a guy who set up like private chess tournaments. F- you know, for like international. You know not gamblers but like i don't know I don't really know what the deal was there but that that's I mean, that's for, it, it, probably on like triple the salary i was on i would imagine um So, you know, I shouldn't have really been there. And, you know, I was quite self-conscious about like, well, everyone seems really sophisticated in this house and I want to make a really good impression. And I moved in and up to this point, I'd been living in a flat in Bath or apartment. So I had an apartment's worth of stuff, but I was moving into a room, but I bought it all anyway and I had so much shit. And I remember (laughs) I had a room on the top floor, and I piled all my stuff up in the middle of the room, and it was so heavy that it broke the ceiling (laughs) of the room below, so that my first arrival in that house was breaking their really posh, expensive, historical (laughs) house.
0: (laughs) They're like, oh, great jazz for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air
1: has moved into our house. (laughs) like... Fantastic. Well, I then had to just then, disperse the weight all over my room. It was like a fucking Professor Layton puzzle. <laughs> uh, I assumed the ceiling had to be fixed
0: and, and all that sort of. Yeah, thing. Or, was it like, Could cup... you just see through a hole and say <laughs> no, hello? No.
1: Yeah, it. it, it, it yeah, all, all that was done, but um, you know, I didn't have to pay for it or anything. But it was like the very definition of like getting off on the wrong foot. Not what I intended at
0: all. Did you also tell me that like there was a certain point where you had a conversation with someone about? what you were doing at that time and they said something really serious about that they were doing in their job and then you said oh yeah i'm reviewing pikmin 3 or something yeah
1: one of them was um one of them was one of the lawyers on like the um hillsborough like inquiry
0: right right right
1: (laughs) and they were talking about that about going up and they were representing all these families in that and then i was like yeah i'm reviewing pikmin 3 and i just uh (laughs) i'll be damned if i can't find all these apples (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah uh
0: very different jobs there very different um, jobs but um yeah that's funny um uh, you know i never asked you this actually because we talked about it on like one of our best games of the different years episodes but whatever happened with those awful smelly sports flatmates you had who you fucking hated because uh, you, i think you live with them for two years and you live very unhappily with them did it did you ever confront them how did it kind of like end did you just kind of leave quietly and um, no they, they
1: ended up they, I can't remember what it was that forced them to leave, but it got very hostile at the end. Basically, I, um, <laughs> I moved all my electronic devices from the flat, from the apartment, into my room because right. he kept playing my Xbox. But like, it became unworkable because there was a desk in my room, which he sat at doing a lot of work at night because that's what you did when you were right here on a games magazine in the mid-noughties. Um, mm-hmm. And I couldn't sit at my desk because. Under my desk, I had piled up, like, a TV and a sandwich toaster. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I actually made... Yeah, it was very, very, um... Oh, it was super passive-aggressive. Terrible, like, communicating uh, only in, like, sort of notes. I remember them putting a note under my door, and they were like, you know, we see you've removed the TV from the living room. You know, like, have you got a problem with us? (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh... Mm. Yeah, and then there was, <laughs> oh god! I'm pretty sure, like I've not named them, so I, I feel confident in saying this. There was something dodgy about, like I I was really worried they were they were committing some kind of benefit fraud, right? Uh, and it got like a bit spicy, and then they left, and then I, yeah, then I lived alone for a few months, and it was fucking bliss. And then I lived with this um this African dude called Roger, who was um really super nice. Really, really charming, lovely guy. Um, so that kind of uh, let the healing begin. You know, that's good.
0: Yeah. Did you let Roger play on your Xbox, Matthew? He didn't did want did... to?
1: I, I tell you what did happen with Roger. He said my family are going to come to visit, and and you know, you know, are, are, is it okay if they stay in the apartment? I was like. Yeah, sure, why not. You know, whatever. Compared, you know, compared to these nightmares before, he'd been so nice and pleasant and I knew it was a bit of a nightmare for his family to come over and everything. And they came over. They didn't really speak any English and they stayed in the- they stayed in the apartment for I'd say well over a fortnight. Right, okay, and yeah. it was just like living with these people who I, I just had you know no communication with all they seem to do was sit around watching nature documentaries on tv like all day it was it was very again i am just not good at any kind of confrontation so yeah that was fun
0: (laughs) that's good well i'm glad you're in a house now with Catherine and uh well the confrontation confrontation here is
1: like you know i want to throw away all this fucking sailor moon (laughs) and she's like why
0: don't you get rid of your fucking randy newman or whatever (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) Okay, very good. Oh, that was, that was a great little potted history there. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Um, I've got three more games to fire through, Matthew. I've got um, no games, because all I've been playing is Dying Light like, 2, so hit me up. That's okay. I think you'll have thoughts on all of these. So um, first up is Metroid Zero Mission on Game Boy Advance. Mm. I've been playing this, because at some point deeper into the year, we're going to do a Metroid, um, best of Metroid games uh, episode, mm-hmm. Matthew. So um, this is my first bit of research. I thought I'd go through them chronologically. Mm. Um so it's not very long this. I've not finished it yet, but I think I'm like I'm getting there. Um quite interesting coming to this after Metroid Dread. You realize like how much more of a what the Nintendo style of game design is versus the way Mercury Steam do it. Like um there's a there are many fewer complications of Zero Mission and it's not as like precise or complicated to control, I would say. Mm. Um much simpler obviously it's a remake of the original Metroid on uh, NES. So it's um it's uh, yeah, it's uh, quite straightforward. Um, looks beautiful though, absolutely gorgeous looking game. Um, these uh, these two Game Boy Advance games that they made uh, were uh, look fantastic, and um, yeah, just it's generally speaking, like just kind of nice to play a really high quality pixel art kind of like metroid that's a little bit easier after playing dread right. it's a good palette cleanser where like it's it's not it doesn't really feel that hard to do anything it also kind of made me realize that the music in metroid dread it, is probably the weakest thing about For it sure. because the music in this is rad it's so good yeah because uh, obviously these are you know this is what nintendo does but the vi- the vibe of the games is quite different i would say they're like i can see why metroid dread is what it is based on how you know how the series like visual style evolves and stuff like that but yeah there is a fundamental playability to this that i think is very specifically nintendo mm. so yeah just doing a bit of that matthew yeah, did you, do you remember playing yeah, this one? i
1: don't i don't want to kind of get too far ahead on my metroid thoughts you know because mm-hmm. we've got that big episode coming up but yeah this one's interesting as well in terms of like because it is the sort of semi-remake of the original Metroid you can kind of the differences between them show you the differences and kind of what was going on in Metroid and what how they think about Metroid now compared to how they thought about Metroid when they made it you know there are there are some some quite big uh changes in approach um I think to sort of yeah like ease of play you know playability and ease of progress and maybe like hand-holding to a degree
0: yeah it's like um it sort of requires precision in a kind of a different way like you know Metro Dread is obsessed with, like jumps and grabs and and like movement being really really precise and this one can be but it's a bit more like the kind of old school platforming challenges as opposed to really like uh, basically doing finger gymnastics to pull off these kind of like crazy moves yeah um So that's like one way they really sort of uh, differ. But yes, I'll I'll say further thoughts for that, Matthew. But I want to let you know that I've kicked off with that now. So um, That's good. I'll get to that one. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. um, But yeah, I really just love the atmosphere of the um, the different levels in it. You just kind of remember, oh yeah, 2D. 2D um, art from Nintendo. Just absolutely beautiful. Mm. So yes, very much enjoying that. Next up, Matthew, is Pokemon Legends Arceus. I've been playing a bit of this. Not loads of it. So I don't have like massively in-depth thoughts on it. But I am enjoying it a bit more than I thought I would, and I know that you've been watching Catherine play this, yeah. right? So what did you, what did you make of what you've seen of it so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, for starters, you know, the, the big thing hovering over this game was that, it, it, you know, it kind of looked like ass in its early teaser trailers, and in the reviews, if people have had a, a, a kind of a, a big negative, it's like it's it's kind of rough around the edges. I actually tweeted yesterday that I think playing No More Heroes 3 and enjoying No More Heroes 3, which was... So technically rough. About as rough a game as I've played. Uh, definitely on Switch, I mean rough as, as hell. Has kind of like lowered the bar so much that actually I'm like, oh this is fine. You know, this is this is this is fine verging on nice, I would say. Um yeah. in ter- you know, when you look at it, the colour palette of everything. I also think like the world's a little flat and bland for sure, but the Pokemon themselves sort of deliver and when they fight you know the the, the effects look kind of cool like it I, i'd say it's pretty where it needs to be if that makes sense mm. yeah
0: i think so i think it's like um I, I i think that very careful things they do with like filters and like weather effects and stuff like that make the world look nicer than it mm. maybe it maybe would if you were just looking at the kind of individual bits of scenery as objects you know mm. um and so i think that really helps kind of soften it up a little bit um definitely doesn't look as good as breath of the wild but i was i would say it was like a lot better looking than i thought it would Mm -hmm. be based on what i'd seen of leaked images and stuff and i agree with you i think like the kind of ecosystem element of it and like how you encounter a pokemon in the wild it might just start attacking you not as not your pokemon you the player and uh, your relationship with the game on that level is is um, is quite cool, and I do quite like the choice of setting as well. I like this kind of like uh, sort of spooky, unknowable God Pokemon element in the background of the game oh, as well. It's like some um,
1: fucking Persona shit at the start, where it's all like, "Thou art here, who art thou? You know, thine is yeah, the thing." Yeah. I was like, "What the fuck?"
0: <laughs> yeah, I did not expect that for the start of a Pokemon game. <laughs> yeah. that it's kind of like there's kind of kind of Kingdom Hearts II, where you sort of like you're kind of f- flying through like an abyss or whatever, and you um land in a different world but yeah i quite like the context i found it very funny that in the opening village they were like um um <laughs> if you don't catch a bidoof for us you're out of the village and you you may die in like the wildlands by yourself and it's like that is so funny like as a kind of like High stakes uh, task given to you, um, and then you go catch a Badoof and it takes about fifteen seconds, and <laughs> everyone's like, "Oh my god, you're the greatest Pokemon person you right. have ever seen." We feared all of these creatures
1: that are basically just dog sized. <laughs> um, a man who's like, "I just basically I can't cope unless I see a worm pull," and you're like, you're like <laughs> "You got problems, yeah, man, but sure,
0: yeah." it's about as bold as a Pokemon game gets. I, I, I suppose based on what I've played so far. But um, I know that, I'm sure Catherine's played a lot more of it than me. I've played about an hour and a half, not loads. But, like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by how how kind of, like, into it I am, I guess. Um, it's like, it, it is still soft around the edges in the way that Pokemon is, but it's a little bit unknowable. And you're kind of curious to see what else is out there and, mm. you know, what the sort of broader context of the world is. Um, was there anything else you liked from watching it, Matthew?
1: Um, I thought the, the, the whole thing that you're kind of, re- it's not just about catching them, but kind of seeing their behavior that research element seems interesting Mm. like having just a basically a big book of many objectives attached to each pokemon kind breed or whatever is um that that's that seems like it could be quite Moorish, you know because once you've actually caught them there's something specific to do with them beyond just fighting and leveling up that seems quite smart and it's sort of also has this preposterous edge where Catherine just seemed to be harvesting just endless Bidoof's, you know, because it was like catch fifty, you know, level this up by catching like twenty two Bidoof's and you are like, wow, well, I mean, what are you going to do with them? You know, <laughs> what are you going to do with the twenty two Bidoof's? Do you just set them free? Do you like put them somewhere? I, that that's that's a little odd to me, but um, yeah, it was just interesting in light of our chat with Jay last week, where he was talking about, you know how you move Pokemon on and should you move it on and isn't it actually right that it forever exists as this kind of entry kind of game for young players and so it shouldn't age up to, like, to basically keep up with its original fan base and this seems like an interesting kind of middle ground. You wonder if this, you know, is this actually, you know, is this this another gateway game but to, like, 3D RPGs? You know, is this the thing, Mm. you know... Is this the thing which is going to get a younger generation into, you know, eventually your, your open world kind of Final Fantasies or whatever? Um, yeah, it's, I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably um, fair. I think, like, I could see.
0: There being a world where they develop like a Pokemon Legends series in parallel with the main entries, yeah, um, and all the kind of remakes, uh, if they have the capacity to do that at Game Freak, I've no idea, but like that feels like maybe the most plausible thing. I don't think they'll Pokemon Legends will be the only Pokemon games they make from now on, if you know what I mean, mm. but like, um, yeah, certainly an interesting um, spin, better than I thought it'd be. I, I wasn't even. Th- considering like buying it until the reviews came out and people just seemed like really wowed by it and i was like well okay you know it's at least interesting
1: mad that nintendo did so little promotion of this in terms of like you know like no preview window no access to the press apart from like some of the best reviews they've had in years for for a pokemon game uh hitting like two days before it's out it's very odd campaign around this game and just
0: dropping at the end of January yeah, as well, which is a weird, like, oh, a weird is. time.
1: This is our this is our revolutionary new take, I guess. Bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they probably just saw the initial reaction to the trailer, like the people slamming the graphics, and probably thought, let's just like hold back and until launch and yeah. see how it goes. But de- demonstrates considerable confidence to like put the, lift the embargo when they did. So they kind of they obviously knew they had something good, um, but. Yeah, um, it's cool. I will keep playing it and maybe talk about it again in a future episode, Matthew. Oh, Um, when we do
1: our second Pokemon episode. (laughs) Oh,
0: God, no. One was enough. I did wake up on that Friday when we put the episode up and I was like why did we do a Pokemon episode? What the fuck was I thinking? I, like, you know.
1: I, I don't think it's as controversial as you think it is, Cover, no, no, covering no, no. one of the biggest, most popular game series in the world.
0: <laughs> no, it was more like, what business do I have? Right. About, you know, creating a <laughs> podcast about Pokemon. Do you know what I mean? And like, but Jay definitely um, gave it some real life. I, I really like that episode. It was good. Um, so, yes, my final game of this episode, Matthew. Um, Resident Evil 4 uh, VR. Ooh. Um this is so fucking good. Oh, um, if that's I good could hear. If, if I could, like, explain the effect this game has, right? It's as close as I've ever got to someone, like, mind-wiping my memories of a game and me experiencing it fresh oh, for the first nice. time. It's the closest I've ever got to that. And that's like, way more than, like, a remake or a remaster. And I, I say this because Resident Evil 4... Whenever I play it now, I kind of tend to stop about two or three hours in because I've just played it too many times. Right. Like in the mid-noughties, I, pr- I think I completed this like ten times, so I know it inside and out. And you know, it's hard to get too excited about it now. I just I know all of its tricks, but this game in VR it's like it's like the developer, which is Armature, I think a US studio. Mm-hmm. It's like they took the game apart and put it back together again around like. VR control and and and, and uh, like the headset and stuff like that and the effect is something completely fresh because the tension points of it are quite different so because you um, you obviously have the Oculus Quest uh, 2 controllers so you can aim really precisely very easily you can do headshots and stuff like that but now you have to reload manually and that is like a massive point of tension in the game in a way that it just wasn't before of course because all you did was press like the square button or whatever and leon would just reload here you have to reach reach over grab a magazine ram it into the gun and then like pull the little thing on top of the gun and to put it into the chamber in order to reload and every gun has its own version of doing that and when you're in that opening village bit and you're just like panicking as you're trying to reload this gun as these villagers close in on you these villagers who you've seen a thousand times in resident Evil 4 but now they're looking at you like face to face like not just like leon on the screen in front of you that is so like uh, so fresh and exciting uh, like a a spin on this game that i know inside and out Mm. it's really really fucking good um because it's, it's a massive risk in it because uh, the movement you've got as a player to play in VR means you can sidestep quite easily. You can just sort of tap to the side and then sort of move. So they had to find other ways to kind of crank up the tension, basically. And it's really risky to mess with the the kind of like the mecha- the mechanics of Resident Evil 4 in terms of like everything is so so perfectly calibrated, like in terms of how fast Leon is, um, how he aims, how he can do melee attacks, stuff like that. So to mess with it is quite a risky thing, but they do such a good job, Matthew. Mm. Um and the guns feel fantastic in the hand, and um, and you, and Leon's knife is like gigantic in your hand. And uh, I think like that they've they've done that that layer of it, the um you your interactions as a player so so well that it gives it a completely fresh lease of uh, lease of life. What do what do you think? Oh man,
1: that just sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, the movement thing—I thought was interesting because in my head, like that's a game where I do a lot of running away. You know, I think about initial village siege, just like running around it and jumping through windows and stuff. Is that still fine in VR? That's not too hectic.
0: Yeah, it, it's a bit—it's a bit busier. Like I failed that. Village section on normal four times. before I did it right. this time, and obviously I, I would know exactly how to survive that playing the original version. Just because, and that was a lot of it. Was like trying to reload the shotgun. I was struggling with. Right. I was like, oh shit! Like, right, okay, put the bullet down here, and then it got to pull the thing on top, and then yeah, and then like I've got to do it again. And reloading very quickly. Oh, I've got to switch to my knife. Okay, like oh, I found a grenade. I will actually pull the pin out of this grenade in first person, and then throw it like uh you know like I'm actually throwing it and then watch it blow up the chainsaw dude so so good but it, it was like hard to kind of get my brain around how the, the the that
1: that side of things worked you know oh man i can't even imagine that chainsaw guy coming after me in first person <laughs> it, weirdly he was like one of the less scary parts he, he didn't seem as gigantic and
0: i don't know why but like um the the, the, the basic villagers are quite scary just coming off <laughs> yeah um
1: how- it's when you
0: come in yeah go i was
1: on. gonna say how 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 far into it are you
0: um, so I'm about, like, um, I'm nearing that lake where the monster is. So I'm, I'm still fairly early on. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, so it's mostly just, like, the village areas I've been kind of, like, pootling around, essentially, and kind of getting used to the mechanics. There's, this, um,
1: there's some set pieces in that game that I just can't... I struggle to imagine... Well, A, A, A how I'd cope in, like, VR, because they're so, like, <laughs> intense or fast, or how VR would handle them. Maybe, like, the more... kind of chase scenes and things like that
0: yeah yeah i think um the the good thing is that the the qtes how they've done it is you all you have to do is wave the controllers you don't have to like press buttons to like do also you can turn the qtes off if you want to um which is an interesting choice but probably quite a good one um what's really cool is when you find a new gun the game kind of like pauses and then like there's a tutorial explaining how you use that gun in vr so like the music slows down, and it's like, okay, you've just got a shotgun. Well, you got to grab the bullets from here, put it into here, and then like, and then yeah, reload like this. And um, that's really, really good. I think as well, like, I I worried that like the graphics would maybe look a bit too old hat in them um, right. in VR. Um, but they must have they must have done some work to make it a bit crisper because it, it all looks pretty good. Mm. Um, some assets look like they've been buffed up a little bit. Like when you see pictures of um, Salazar on the walls and stuff, they look quite high fidelity, and it really helps that. Um, the guns and like Leon's hands are are like super detailed, so you kind of like it, kind of tricks your brain into thinking you're you're playing a, an updated version of it visually, right. which really helps. Um, they've made some sensible choices, like the cutscenes you don't experience in first person; that would have been too hard. Um, I, I understand that, um, so you kind of watch it like a cinema screen in front of right. you. And also the um, when Leon does a melee attack, they very sensibly don't have you spin round uh, to do a kick; they just like. The ca- camera pulls back and you see Leon and he does like a spinning kick and then you're back in first person. Um, okay, that's, interesting. So that's kind of wise. Yeah, this uh, it works slightly better as a standing up VR experience than a sitting down one as well. Um, right. I found that like the knife was quite hard to use in when I was sat down, um, just particularly when people are on the ground and you're trying to like swipe at them that's much easier when you're in uh, you're stood up and you can like literally lean down and just <laughs> just swipe at them with the controller mm. um until they die and also things like because you actually type into a typewriter in first person to save the game like you type your own name <laughs> onto a on-screen typewriter which is rad that works that i was struggling with that because um where like the s button was Uh, on the typewriter was like um, my couch was preventing me from reaching it in the sitting down position and i was like oh i had to like push my couch down really hard to like hit the s button on this typewriter um, which is quite funny but yeah i'm just kind of blown away by just the the kind of basic combat stuff i I think i'm taking such a like leisurely pace through it i failed sections multiple times i've been getting used Mm. to this control scheme but just the, the feeling of the guns the fact they've done the entire game in vr just amazing it's like the it's like a proper blockbuster VR game yeah. you know? it's exactly what I wanted to play on Quest oh, 2 that sounds yeah. so good yeah have you got Quest yeah, 2 in the house I can't got, remember
1: yeah I have to, have to crack it yeah. out
0: yeah it's like um i actually uh shout out to uh leah richardson our listener who um gave me the facebook referral thing to get like free credit or whatever oh, so i ended nice. up paying six quid six quid for this oh, so fantastic. that's um, yeah so good matthew it's so so good
1: imagine um, how fucking it's... scary the regenerator fight's gonna be
0: oh fuck i don't even think about that yeah because uh, yeah that's the thing I, I know what's coming up right this is the kind of weird appeal of it i know what's coming up but i don't know exactly how it will feel in vr and that's the element of it being like super fresh and, and that's the mind wipe element mm. i'm talking about where well i don't exactly know what this will be like when it's happening in first person and i have to like um i have to like manually like throw grenades and use herbs and stuff like this um oh it's so good the way they stream down the inventory system is really good too you can just sort of like access everything on the fly if you want to and but there's also the um trad inventory system is there if you want to use it as well mm-hmm. so um yeah i, I would say i like a few people said to me this is the way i want to play this game now and i'm like yeah it's not exactly the same as what resident Evil 4 was but the translation they've done is uh, i i would say like beyond anything i was expecting really really
1: good amazing amazing Uh, i'll definitely definitely give that a go
0: yeah it's real good man you'll have a a good time it's just i found enough i've made enough room in my flat now to like do all of it like in in standing up um, that should be a level in (laughs) (laughs) unpacking. yeah exactly just moving fucking game cubes and we use to one side (laughs) to make space (laughs) Um, so those are those are my games, Matthew. So
1: um, should we go into some listener yeah, questions to wrap up? All right. Uh, here's our first question. Hi, gents. Thanks for the excellent podcast. A highlight of my listening week and responsible for more obscure purchases than I'll ever be able to play. Also, thanks for being so approachable on Twitter. You've both taken time to reply to questions from me and it's greatly appreciated. In primary school, a friend of mine would tell me how his grandfather loved playing Super Nintendo. At the time, the idea of someone that age playing video games was utterly baffling to me. However, as I grow older and contend with the looming spectre of my timid mortality, I grow ever more excited about the prospect of retirement and the time it will afford me to complete my backlog of games. I feel the millennial generation will be the first where a majority of people grew up either playing or very much aware of video games. So my question is, what do you think this generation of gamers will look like in their twilight years? Monthly Halo LAN parties at the old people's home? Perhaps a whole new audience of gamers for devs to specifically target? would love to get your thoughts. I, for one, look forward to yelling at the grandkids about how Chrono Trigger is better than modern RPGs. As I desperately try to recall a plot I never fully understood. Sorry for the rambling question, and wishing you both all the best. Kind regards, Tom Joseph. Yeah, so um, I I uh, I keep
0: saying that I'm I'm saving doing a proper like XCOM 2 War of the Chosen campaign for retirement, right? Um, <laughs> because I think that that will be the only thing my fingers can do at that point so yeah i think like uh, turn-based games are in my um old person future matthew (laughs) but i don't know generationally like it is true that you'll have probably people still spending money on games deep into their 50s and 60s which is maybe something that didn't exist previously um
1: the scenario he describes of people shouting at youngsters about chrono trigger being better than modern rpgs that already happens now with like people in their late 30s shouting at people in their 20s
0: yeah like the um the whole persona world ends with you thing of like you know just a bit of gatekeeping around like yeah. oh, you weren't there you weren't there and all this stuff Um yeah i, I, uh, I do wonder
1: yeah. if because games are just now a part of everyday life for everyone rather than like a very specific or niche hobby if everything will just get a bit more chilled if it will be le- you know if they're just part of like you know the the world's population like pop culture diet that actually you won't feel the need to be as on it you know that you can maybe enjoy them in a more relaxed fashion in the way that we enjoy film and tv and that's just sort of an accepted part of most people's lives you know there's not many people whose relationship with tv and film is like the current gaming relationship with games you know there's not many people that are just like, films, films, films. I only do films, you know, where there are a lot more people who are like that with games. And I wonder if we'll just be able to go, oh, I might just pop on a game tonight, you know, in the way that you might just watch an episode or something. You know, I, I, I kind of... I, I, my life is getting increasingly like that. You know, games outside of work are just a thing I, you know, mix in with other stuff. And I'd quite like that to be the, the energy of playing games in my twilight years i hope the thing that people i hope there's all these indie studios who basically have the tech to make things like uncharted games <laughs> so we have a wave of like and then there's all these kids are like oh stop making cinematic action games from the mid noughties like we're, we're so tired of that we want whatever our futuristic form of gaming is that we can't can't yet imagine
0: matthew fears slash desires a world of uncharted clones i'd be um, up for that so I. Up up everyone's
1: making you know a, a world where we're sick of having like mass effect quality 3d rpgs yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but it's funny now
0: because even like um chrono triggers a bit before my time i was uh like seven when that game came out so but i still love that game and i played the ds version and i kind of passed it down this stuff exists as kind of like pop culture ephemera and gets endlessly renewed and like I don't know I feel like there's probably teenagers out there sued teenagers on Twitter who are playing Earthbound um because they know it's the game that inspired Undertale or something like that right, right. <laughs> um so th- these things kind of like might might linger longer than um maybe we suspect, but yeah <laughs> Is that a very like old person word? No, to it use? It's, it's right. It is right for what that is. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't. I don't have the fact that I've played Chrono Trigger or Earthbound at the core of my identity. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not that's not where I'm at in my thirties. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so next question is from uh, Stuart Fraser. Hi, Sam and Matthew. Firstly, just want to say how much I love the podcast. Been listening every week since episode one. It keeps going from strength to strength. I'm especially looking forward to when you do a Bath E3 draft <laughs> episode. Uh, I don't know if we could do an episode, but I could probably do like a, a fun skit at the start of an episode. Um, I'll think about that. Um, recently, I became a first-time dad, and after the first two weeks of craziness and adjusting to only having four hours sleep, uh, four hours of sleep on a good day, I decided to pick up my Switch again. My son often falls asleep on me, uh, so I needed something I could play one-handed, but also a game I could drop at a moment's notice to deal with the next dirty nappy. After a bit of controller remapping. I got the Ace Attorney Trilogy on sale for £15 and I can play the whole game with just the left Joy-Con. It's been a revelation. I was wondering if you had any more recommendations for easy-to-play games for new parents, anything that would be suited to one-handed play or easy to pick up and play without much disruption. Well, um, Matthew, uh, what did two childless men think of games that um, <laughs> that uh, uh, that Stuart can play um, one-handed? I've, I don't really know about one-handed games I mean, so much. Do you have any I mean, thoughts on I was
1: going to say, like he's, he's already worked at Ace Attorney, I mean generally like visual novel stuff. Mm. Those games are like single button for like ninety nine percent of the time and if you know, then maybe up or down to change dialogue choices. Um I if you've played Ace Attorney, obviously great Ace Attorney, um, worth giving a go. If you are into visual novels and you're open to them, uh I really liked uh, Raging Loop on uh, switch which was like the werewolfy one that that was really good fun um i have just started playing um that the one that i can never remember the name of that's incredibly critically acclaimed on switch the house of oh fate yeah of, house of fate of, of yeah um i started playing that because i know we've got a visual novel episode coming down the line and i think that's quite a key text so in terms of single-handed stuff that's pretty good uh outside of that though what about uh jake hunter matthew oh no the <laughs> dawn of the golden the da- the golden dawn of aging jazz or whatever it was called <laughs> it, was no. like, it was like 90 90 quid or something like that <laughs> yeah for it. i wouldn't i wouldn't <laughs> recommend spending 500 quid on that that's that's <laughs> unwise um i guess like puzzle games like pit cross games you could play those touch screen with a finger um yeah I'm not sure if you...
0: Could you do Tetris 99 one-handed? I'm not sure.
1: You might uh, need to like, the right... The speed of it back. as well. That's, that's the challenge. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's probably an easy I, way I to play
0: Tetris one-handed.
1: I would probably go down the puzzle route, to be honest. I don't think there's any, like, classic, like, auto-running type thing on there that would be playable. So, it's tricky. Yeah. Um, I, I think, basically, you've nobbled your gaming time by having a kid. So, um, yeah, that's on you. <laughs> yeah think about
0: what you've done um that's like that's our advice um uh, no, uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs>
1: just joking side note the film podcast that we both listen to that offers a lot of inspiration <laughs> the hosts of that one of them recently had a kid and the other one's having a kid and it really has changed the dynamic of that podcast because they just talk about their kids a lot and i promise that if, if i ever have a kid i won't i won't let it get in the way of of our podcast bands yeah, I mean, Matthew's got cats and they don't get in the way of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's fans. very so, different
0: uh, to a baby. A really funny comment that um, Jay said to me was uh, uh, after our Pokemon episode was, glad that there's still an audience for the kind of discussion in society that matters most. Three childless adult men talking about Pokemon. And I thought that was a really good um, distillation of that episode. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Last question here, Matthew. Oh, wait, it's two more
1: questions, actually. Do you want to read the next one? Hi, Samuel and Matthew. Quick question for the upcoming mailbag episode. Apologies, we missed that one. Uh, best games with an explicit philosophical angle, or perhaps less explicitly philosophical, but still with an implicit message. Cheers for the podcast, you two. Always fun. That's from Charlie Robinson. Ooh uh
0: well yeah i've always made it clear on this podcast that i uh i operate with a very thin veneer of intellect that's not really built on anything (laughs) real um but it has sustained 60 something podcasts so far so can it be that bad i mean you know that's up to you the listener but i would say that um i can pretend to know things about philosophy but i don't really so i could just say something really basic like metal gear solid 2 but it's not particularly insightful answer what do you think matthew
1: yeah i i I must admit philosophy is a huge uh, blind spot for me like i know very little about you know i've never studied it i've never read anything um i probably should i mean it's tricky i I almost want to get back to this one and try and come up with a better answer what's that one um what's that puzzle game where you split your body into lots of clones the swapper Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah yeah that one I remember reading something about the kind of implied ethics of like cloning yourself and then killing yourself off in puzzles and the idea of like which one was you and it kind of veered into sort of slight sort of prestige territory of like who's the copy who's the original all this kind of stuff Um, I remember thinking like that that had a bit of a philosophical edge to it off the top of my head that's about as good as I can do for this.
0: Yeah, I sort of think, like, uh, this is a really, uh, this seems obvious, but it's quite interesting, is Bioshock 2. Oh, yeah, that's, um, yeah. Yeah, just because the whole thing with Sophia Lamb in that game was that she's, like, big into utilitarianism, and, like, she's, like, the anti-Andrew Ryan, so there's, like, they they play with that quite a lot. I know that was something that, um, like, uh, Jordan Thomas, creative director, wanted to put into that game. It was, like, talking about John Stuart Mill being, like, a, you know, like, one of the sort of you know i guess like thought leaders that that led to some of the themes of that game and i think that is quite obvious if you pay attention to the game mm. and how and how she operates um, rapture
1: in the you know in the wake of the events of the first game that, that um, veneer of intellect that's, that's that's feeling pretty pretty deep pretty real that that sounds like real I, intellect to me
0: i did actually buy the uh, john stuart mill utilitarianism book after that press trip so i could read uh, i could just read a bit about it it's a very very short book and then <laughs> just kind of blasted through that so yeah it is a thin veneer but nonetheless oh, a, veneer that, yeah. um, a, fu- a functional veneer um so yeah i'll let you think on that a little bit more than matthew um so okay uh last question here dearest samuel uh, we were both molded in the fires of imagine publishing myself on the knowledge magazines that made all the money and yourself on the gaming <laughs> side that didn't although i'm very much now a space journalist i fancy <laughs> myself a bit of a jack of all trades at the time trying my hand at a variety of freelance within imagine from tech to photography i even dabbled in a spot of not very good games journalism i was reliably informed dashing my dreams of becoming a games journalist in one fell swoop fear not i have nearly emotionally recovered (laughs) my question to you both is if you weren't games journalists but had to pick another field of journalism to work in what would you pick sports writers gossip columnists political hacks or even space journalists there's always room but please don't nab my freelance gigs at the new york times bit of fucking uh you know but boasting going on there um <laughs> look forward to your answers and nice job on the show um cheers sporadic listener and occasional twitter interactor um johnny astro johnny O'Callahan. p.s if you include my question in an upcoming episode please let me know where and what time your episodes are very long and i rarely get to the end oh. of one before the next is out pps the way sam says matthew on the show always sounds like he's getting told off poor matthew um yeah okay lots to unpack there um it's true that you know uh, the mags johnny worked on were the best-selling at imagine and he did a great job of um transcribing uh, wikipedia into a print magazine <laughs> i will give him that um that's you know that's a valid job um... <laughs> i'm only joking there johnny is very successful i think he won an award for his um space journalism and i know he um i know he means well probably um so i actually but i actually have worked in another field i've worked in you know f- film and tv journalism i was working on tech radar so um, and sci-fi now so I've do- I've actually done a different type of media and and didn't like it as much as games media oh. um but uh yeah but that's just because I that's just because games are the thing I enjoy writing about the most I suppose mm. but what about you Matthew have you ever thought about other I types used- of writing
1: it would be another form of arts journalism you know it would probably be writing about films I used to do film reviews for student paper um when I was at university and you know films films are my other great love books I guess Um, if you, if I could only write reviews of Japanese crime fiction in translation, that would be, that would be a dream job. But in terms of like actual sort of like proper journalism or whatever, that's not really for me. Um, I haven't really got the, the nose for sniffing out a story. I'd much rather just play something and offer my, uh, opinion on it.
0: (laughs) I think I'm too afraid of being sued to be a, like a proper journalist. There are other,
1: but there are like,
0: you know, systems in place to avoid that. (laughs) <laughs> that is true but like uh, you might still get sued anyway because someone's got a lot of money and they don't give a fuck um, because that's what the legal system yeah, promotes but I'd like to think if you were you writing
1: know. for a reputable newspaper like there'd be some safety nets <laughs> what um, with space journalists you're not going to get sued <laughs> by the fucking moon are you <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, what do you think of uh, Johnny's
0: thing about please let me know where and when you answer the question? I say he can get to fuck and he can just f- listen to the
1: episode. My honest reaction to that is fuck off, um, because like the audacity of tell me when I'm mentioned so I can skip the rest is like bullshit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are long, they are long episodes. I, I they agree. are, but like hearing your hearing your question answered is like the reward for listening to the rest of it. It's not even the reward. It's not even the best bit
0: yeah you you don't even have to you know you don't have to listen to the podcast i will say that it's optional it's not pudding you know yeah. it's not like the rest of us yeah. like eat
1: your fucking vegetables
0: yeah exactly yeah you know the other funny like um slightly dour letter i got this week, Matthew. and i didn't put it in here because i think it was just a bit too bleak was from uh chris walker who said aren't you worried you'll run out of um drafts and years and games to talk about and you'll have to talk about something else and if so what will that other thing be and i was there thinking. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think like there's like a lot of computer games. Yeah. Like uh, I think we'll be fine. But, also, um, let
1: me introduce uh, you to the phrase redraft. <laughs>
0: yeah exactly we've already explained as well we're going, we're going to do best games of 2020 again at some point yeah when we get there um, so, and
1: it can be more complete and more coherent yeah but like
0: um more games are coming out all the time there'll always be something to talk about but um yes that w- i w- i did find that quite funny uh johnny's letter there i'm, I'm sure he means it in uh in good spirits uh Matthew. i mean
1: like but um there are people who have done thousands of episodes about the most random shit think of how many doctor who podcasts there are just about doctor who and there are so many more games. If you can't, you know, that would be a, a huge failing on our part if we couldn't keep talking about games for, for, you know, the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's like a Simpsons podcast I listen to that's been going for like six years, like seven years. Like they, you know... There's there's plenty to talk about there. Good a good dour note to end yeah, the episode. Good. on, Matthew. I also
1: feel like we insulted poor Astro Johnny. You know, thank you for writing your letter in. I, I assume yeah, it was done in 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 good humour.
0: He is. I know him fairly well from his Bournemouth days, and he he. Uh, I remember him being quite nice. So this this card say space journalist. Um, I don't know. I mean, actually, I've not seen him in about eleven years, so I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> I can't say I remember the quality of his freelance. I might have commissioned him once and not used him again, which maybe Johnny took as a a personal thing and he- hence the barb here about my magazines not making money <laughs>
1: on the gaming side i take that as a point of pride <laughs> yeah i wanted them to lose money and gamer was too good for this dumb world <laughs> uh that's got the big
0: um wee mini uh, <laughs> yeah. energy i know oh, what's best oh, for the listeners tiny little world
1: janet whatever the phrase is i can never <laughs> remember <laughs> the fucking quote.
0: yeah yeah like uh, you ruined my night all that stuff uh, where can people get you on social media matthew
1: uh, mr at mr basil underscore pesto
0: i'm samuel w roberts if you uh, want to follow the podcast it's backpage pod we'll post whenever there's like a new update and that sort of thing that's where all our draft voting goes when we do those episodes too and um yes we uh if you'd like to review the podcast on the platform of your choice spotify now lets you give a star rating at the time of uh that we're recording this we've had over 150 really grateful thank um, you. all five star reviews so thank you so much for that um if you listen on spotify use the app just uh just you want to give us a star rating then uh, by all means it'd be greatly appreciated but um we'll be back next week goodbye bye